It was well past midnight in London, England in 1593. Markets were closed. Taverns were beginning to empty. Most people were in their homes fast asleep. But not everyone. One group was at a discreet location discussing forbidden topics like science, astronomy, and most importantly, religion. This was the school of night, and the speaker that evening, none other than writer Christopher Marlowe. Marlowe stood at the head of a table in a dim room lit by candlelight. The table was covered in books, papers, and maps, and the chairs occupied by other poets, philosophers, and mathematicians, those in pursuit of higher knowledge. He looked across the room. Some of the men before him were politicians, high-ranking members of the royal government, wishing for change. Then he looked down at the papers he held in his hands, his words scrawled across the parchment. He took a deep breath, and a hush fell over the crowd. Everyone's eyes were on him. At first, Marlowe's voice was quiet, whispering about his atheist beliefs. Then it grew louder, stronger. He spoke out against the Protestant religion and the Queen's rule. Her reign of religious persecution had to end soon. When he finished speaking, the men jumped to their feet and applauded. Marlowe smiled as he took his seat. His speech was a wild success. Little did he know, as he reveled in the praise, that not everyone there believed in his words. The school of night had been infiltrated, and sooner or later, word was going to get back to the royal court. Specifically, Queen Elizabeth. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But... We are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on the mysterious death of Christopher Marlowe, one of England's most famous playwrights. He was known in London as a rebel and fighter, and was considered an atheist. His writing included controversial themes like violence, sexuality, and religion. Last episode, we covered the strange story of Marlowe's last day alive and the shadowy details of his death, an event that took place in a lodging house in southeast London in the company of three other men. This time, we'll explore a few theories surrounding his death. Some suggest Marlowe was killed because of his relationship with his patron, Thomas Walsingham. Others believe Marlowe was murdered because of his connections to Sir Walter Raleigh and to the School of Night. And there's always the possibility that Marlowe's death was entirely faked, and that he lived in exile and wrote plays as none other than William Shakespeare. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. According to the official records, Poet and playwright at large, Christopher Marlowe, was killed by Ingram Freiser on May 30th, 1593. And the cause? Self-defense. This conclusion was based on the testimony of three witnesses, Freiser himself and his associates, Nicholas Skears and Robert Poley. All three claimed Freiser and Marlowe got into a deadly fight in which Freiser feared for his life. But to believe this story requires complete trust in the words of the three witnesses, one of whom was on trial at the time and had a strong motive to lie about the exact events. The fight had been allegedly over the dinner bill, which seems like a strange catalyst for murder. This has led some to believe that maybe there was more to the story. After Freiser was suspiciously pardoned by the Queen, the three men never had to speak of it again. And soon after the trial ended, everyone seemed to forget about the writer's death and Freiser's involvement. That is, until 1925, when the coroner's report was rediscovered by scholar Leslie Hodson in the archives of the Public Record Office in London. But his fascination with it didn't clear up any questions surrounding Marlowe's murder. Instead, it only invited more. Details in the report are somewhat vague, like that Freiser wasn't able to get away because he was sitting between Skiers and Poley, or again, that the fight's catalyst was simply the splitting of the bill. When looked at objectively, it's hard to believe these things incited a man's death. Which has given scholars good reason to think the death wasn't an accident at all, but a targeted event. 
that Fryser's invitation to dinner wasn't one out of kindness, rather than a way to lead Marlowe to his own death. The question was, why? One answer might have come from Calvin Hoffman, a scholar working in the mid-1900s. If you recall from our previous episode, Fryser was employed by Thomas Walsingham, Marlowe's artistic patron. But it was rumored their relationship extended beyond business. Many believe Thomas Walsingham was also Marlowe's secret lover. Which leads us to conspiracy theory number one. Christopher Marlowe was murdered because of his relationship with Thomas Walsingham, specifically at the request of Thomas's wife, Audrey. Audrey Walsingham was born Audrey Shelton, the daughter of Richard Shelton, High Sheriff of Norfolk. This appointment gave Audrey's father a fair amount of sway as his office carried out orders from the Queen's court, which meant Audrey herself had quite the network. This allowed her to get a job directly under Queen Elizabeth as her Lady of the Bedchamber, meaning Audrey was essentially the Queen's personal attendant. She grew close to the monarch and her court and quickly became Elizabeth's favorite aide. And as her social status within the palace grew, so too did her connection with important political figures. Such as Sir Francis Walsingham, who was the head of Queen Elizabeth's secret service, and Francis's cousin once removed, Thomas Walsingham. It's possible that Audrey and Thomas met at the beginning of the 1590s, shortly after Thomas had inherited a large family estate, but had no wife to control it with. He was likely attracted to Audrey's high social standing and proximity to the queen, things that would make them a powerful couple. Perhaps it wasn't a surprise then, once Thomas and Audrey began a courtship, Thomas was brought into the royal court and knighted by Queen Elizabeth, the ultimate sign of status. But he allegedly had a great secret. As we discussed in part one, he became the patron of poet Christopher Marlowe, and the two were more than friendly. While Marlowe lived in London, Audrey might have suspected their relationship was more personal than professional, though she may have been able to avoid being around it at least until Marlowe came knocking at her front door in the countryside. By early 1593, Marlowe had moved onto their estate in Kent, a refuge from plague-ridden London. From then on, the relationship might have been more obvious to Audrey, especially if she had any sneak peeks at his work. During his time at Kent, Marlowe was working on a poem, Hero and Leander, a passionate retelling of the Greek myth, and one reading could hint at an intimacy between Marlowe and Thomas. The poem tells of Hero and Leander's romantic love for each other and contains descriptions of Leander's physical appearance, for instance, as, quote, all that men desire. Other lines in the poem refer to the sea god Neptune stealing kisses from Leander, which could have been a metaphor for Marlowe's possible secret relationship with Thomas. It's unclear whether Audrey read any of the poem while he was writing, but if these were Marlowe's true feelings for Thomas, she probably could put two and two together, and this could have made her jealous. Not only that, but Marlowe was in quite a bit of political trouble at the time. 
Given Audrey's closeness with the queen, having a persona non grata staying at her home was a very difficult position, stuck between the demands of her royal role and her romantic partner. At the time, any relationship that didn't conform to the standards of the era was dangerous. A gay relationship, and one that was based on adultery, would be persecuted. Audrey would have known that if anyone discovered their romance, Thomas would be in trouble, which would put both their standings at risk. She would have had no choice but to stop the relationship at any cost. So Audrey could have looked around for someone to take care of Marlowe for her. That led her to a man already involved with her family, Ingram Freiser. As we mentioned before, Freiser was employed by Thomas Walsingham, advising him on financial matters. But Freiser wasn't exactly someone with moral, straightforward business practices. He was also a con man and a loan shark, involved in schemes to steal inheritance money from unsuspecting people. He wanted wealth more than power and would do anything to get it. In other words, he could be the perfect person to do Audrey's bidding. She possibly went to Freiser and asked him for a favor, something risky and illegal. She asked if he would consider committing a serious crime, killing Christopher Marlowe. She offered him compensation in exchange for his loyalty and, most importantly, discretion. If anyone were to discover what she'd asked of him, she would lose her position on the royal court, her relationship with Thomas, and possibly even her life. Freiser agreed to Audrey's offer and, as we know, killed Marlowe on May 30th, 1593. Then, He claimed it was self-defense. Afterwards, Audrey could have used her connections to the queen to get him pardoned. It's hard to say, though, whether Audrey and Freiser had a close relationship before the murder. Freiser was working for their household at the time, but primarily for Thomas. It's not clear why Audrey thought she could trust him. But after Marlowe's death, Freiser became Audrey's business agent in 1602. He acted as her advisor and conducted land dealings on her behalf, which suggests they worked together a lot. And it's possible Audrey's vindictive ways didn't stop there. According to scholar Eugenie de Kalb, when Queen Elizabeth died in 1603, Audrey had a hand in ensuring a friend, King James VI, was her successor. Audrey was allowed to keep her status on the royal court. It's unclear exactly how she did so, but we can guess that it might have been through less than moral means. There is, however, a major flaw in the theory that Audrey ordered Marlowe's death, the timing of the dates. There's no official proof that Audrey was married to Thomas at the time of Marlowe's death. The first record of their marriage was in 1597, four years after Marlowe was killed. Not only that, but the writer George Chapman, who finished Marlowe's poem, Hero and Leander, dedicated the poem to Audrey and Thomas for their wedding. Chapman was a close friend of Marlowe's, and it's highly unlikely he would have dedicated Marlowe's work to someone who'd hurt him. But I can't entirely rule out Audrey as the woman behind the curtain pulling strings. 
especially with the evidence of her and Fryzer's business relationship, it seems possible that she bribed him to kill Marlowe. And even though she and Thomas weren't married at the time of Marlowe's death, it's possible they were in a courtship phase. So Audrey still could have been jealous of their relationship enough to take action. Which is why on a scale from 1 to 10, with 10 being the absolute truth, I give this theory a 4. I have to disagree. Even if Audrey wanted Marlowe killed, the risk of her being found out and then losing her royal position seems too high. I'm doubtful that she played a part in Marlowe's death, especially because she wasn't married to Thomas Walsingham at the time. I give this theory a two. If you're right that Marlowe wasn't murdered for his romantic relationship, there might be another reason. It could be he was killed because of a different relationship, like his connections to a secret society known for working against the Queen. Coming up, we enter the underground of London's secret societies. Listeners, most of you probably know that I host another podcast series called Serial Killers. What you may be surprised to learn is that we've been working on that podcast for five years now. So as a special treat for the fans, we've prepared an anniversary series examining the mythology surrounding four of the most feared killers who ever lived. Kemper, Gacy, Bundy, Dahmer. This four-part series uncovers the men behind the mayhem, analyzing what turned them into killers and how their lethal behavior made them renowned for all the wrong reasons. Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any true crime or storytelling fan, and this fifth anniversary special is not one to miss. Check it out today by following Serial Killers, free and only on Spotify. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now back to the story. While it's possible Christopher Marlowe was killed because of his relationship with Thomas Walsingham, there was another relationship that could have prompted the poet's murder, one with someone in his spy network. But like Marlowe, maybe not so loyal to the Queen. This man was Sir Walter Raleigh. Which leads us to conspiracy theory number two. Marlowe was killed because of his atheist beliefs and connections to a secret society called the School of Night. To get into this theory, we'll start with School of Night founder Walter Raleigh. He was born into a family with some money, but not much. He had to climb his way up using wit and ruthlessness. He spent some of his early adulthood involved in a privateering mission, trying to attack and plunder Spanish colonial settlements. These excursions were approved by the queen herself. By 1580, Raleigh served as the captain of a company in the Royal Army. 
He suppressed rebellions in Ireland and recommended assassination as a way to take out Irish leaders. The Queen loved his service so much, he was given 40,000 acres of Irish land. Afterwards, he became the Queen's go-to colonizer, in charge of lands as far away as North America, as in Raleigh, North Carolina. But something about the explorer changed at that time. It seemed he was starting to lose interest in his duties to the crown, or trust in it. His efforts were largely unsuccessful, and he abandoned his post, returning to London to pursue other interests, mostly academic. Raleigh surrounded himself with other writers and intellectual figures, ones who were also growing in hatred of the crown. One of those intellectual figures was the Earl of Northumberland, and together, Raleigh and the Earl formed a secret society known as the School of Night. The group was made up of scholars, scientists, and writers, all men whose opinions went against the royal establishment. They were known as the free thinkers for the ways in which they challenged the socially accepted ideas of the era. They met to discuss topics that upset the status quo, such as philosophy and science. And one idea that they discussed stood out from the rest, religion. Also referred to as the School of Atheism, the men in the School of Night questioned the role of religion, especially in relation to science. They believed intellect and scientific inquiry were more important than church dogma, and often questioned the very idea of religion in these moments. This was obviously a dangerous idea to hold, given the Queen's strict adherence to Protestantism. Yet it was one that supposedly attracted the attention of Christopher Marlowe. Possibly through their spy network, Raleigh became acquainted with Marlowe. As discussed, there were many parallels between the two men, and it's likely they got along quite well. But even a close friendship couldn't protect Marlowe from everything, especially when he chose to speak out. One evening in 1593, apparently, Marlowe gave a speech promoting atheism to the School of Night. Unfortunately, the group had already been infiltrated by a paid informant, someone who reported directly back to spy Richard Baines. We don't know how the informant got access to the group, but it's likely they were sent to dig up dirt on Christopher Marlowe. Baines had a history with Marlowe. They may have spied together at Reims, and for a brief period around 1591, even lived with each other in Holland. The details on this time period are a little fuzzy, but it's possible that Marlowe might have returned to spying for a brief stint and been assigned to work with Baines. The two were rooming with each other, and during this time, maybe Baines got a sense Marlowe was not as loyal to the Queen as he once appeared. Or hated Marlowe's new status as a popular poet. Regardless, Baines then accused Marlowe of counterfeiting, causing Marlowe to be deported back to England. Once home, Marlowe was interviewed by a few court members regarding the accusation. While we don't know exactly what happened at this meeting, we do know he was absolved of the counterfeiting charge. Maybe Marlowe was let off the hook because he had been spying for one of the court members in a brief return to espionage work. This might have made Baines even more determined to get Marlowe. 
explaining why, two years later, Bane sent an informant into the School of Night. Then, he gave that intelligence about Marlowe's atheist speech to the Queen, essentially calling him a traitor. Unfortunately for Baines, this accusation didn't seem to hold up in legal court, probably because he used secondhand information, so the evidence would have been considered hearsay and therefore been unsubstantiated. Marlowe narrowly missed being arrested for treason. And here's where Walter Raleigh might have gotten involved. According to a theory proposed by literary scholar Dr. Samuel Tannenbaum, the School of Night founder was nervous about being accused of atheism. Marlowe might have been let off the hook from the Baines accusation, but he was still awaiting trial over accusations made by his former roommate, Thomas Kidd. Raleigh feared Marlowe would give the Privy Council crucial information, the names of who belonged to the School of Night, therefore implicating Raleigh for treason. Tannenbaum believes this forced Raleigh to order Marlowe's murder, using his spy connections to reach Ingram Freiser. Given his previous ruthlessness and suggestions to assassinate Irish political leaders, this seems not entirely out of the question. Yet I can see a few reasons why Tannenbaum's proposal doesn't entirely hold up. For one, Raleigh might not have trusted Freiser enough to hire him to kill Marlowe. If he was worried about risking his cover, why would he reveal it to Freiser, who could have, in turn, just gone to the Queen's court? Secondly, Tannenbaum's idea supposes Raleigh truly had something to hide. It's actually hard to tell whether Raleigh truly believed in the school's atheist beliefs. That's true. From what we know, he didn't actually speak on the matter. He could have been using the school as a networking tool. And if the Queen found out, he could have easily spun the story and said he founded it as a means to be a better spy in her court, pushing him further in her favor. He seemed like a cunning enough man to do so. If that's the case, Raleigh didn't directly cause Marlowe's murder, but it still could have been because of the School of Night. We know that by 1592, Marlowe's Edward II was performed, a play directly targeting England's political elite. Lines in the text could suggest that members of the Privy Council were atheists themselves, which Marlowe would have known if he'd seen them in the school's meetings. And if that were true, then those council members had all the motive to silence Marlowe, possibly by instigating his death. Coming up, a question mark on the grave itself. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. 
play the game and you could win money up to two million dollars with more than 88 million in prizes ranging from 50 to 500 dollars moneymaker cuts right to the cash lottery players are subject to ohio laws and commission regulations play responsibly now back to the story When Marlowe's play, Edward II, was performed in the early 1590s, it's possible the piece called into question the loyalty of members of the Queen's Council. Because it's possible that given Marlowe's time spent in the School of Night, he'd seen a few members of the Council at meetings. He might have wanted to oust them, his way of sticking it to atheist-hating Queen Elizabeth. This would have terrified members of the Council, it could place their roles and their lives on the line. So perhaps council members were compelled to push Queen Elizabeth to arrest Marlowe. And when that wasn't yielding results fast enough, they took matters into their own hands and hired Fraser to kill him. That could have been true, but there's not much evidence to go off of it beyond the play's potential insinuation. It's a bit of a stretch. But it's still possible Marlowe was murdered due to his beliefs, and this may have actually been ordered at the Queen's request. To explain this, we'll take a look at another piece to the puzzle. One of the three original witnesses, Robert Poley, who could have been acting in the court's favor. By the 1590s, Poley had become a high-level spy in the Queen's government, in fact, before he met Marlowe in southeast London, Poley was in The Hague, a city in Holland, working on a top-secret mission for the Queen. When he returned to England, he was supposedly carrying urgent information for Her Majesty. Given this, he should have gone straight to her palace in Surrey, but he didn't. Instead, he took a detour to Eleanor Bull's Detford Lodging House, where he met Fraser, Skiers, and Marlowe. This meant whatever Poley was doing there was the most important matter to the Queen. Again, according to the coroner's report, Poley did nothing to stop the fight between Fraser and Marlowe. He and Skiers sat at the table watching the fatal altercation, but neither intervened. And in another strange twist, Neither Fraser, Skiers, nor Poley fled the scene of the crime. They stayed alongside Marlowe's corpse until officials arrived, then claimed the murder was an act of self-defense. And when the coroner, William Danby, took their testimonies, he wrote Marlowe had died instantly. Knowing he was stabbed, it's hard to say for certain that Marlowe's death was, in fact, instant. In looking at the coroner's report centuries later, certain scholars and surgeons believe Marlowe's wound wouldn't have actually killed him right away. From what we know, the dagger sliced through Marlowe's right eyeball and plunged into his brain, specifically two inches into the internal carotid. The most likely cause of death was intracranial bleeding or hemorrhaging, which is not an instant death. It's possible that Marlowe was alive for five or six minutes after being stabbed. Which meant that instead of trying to help, Poli might have purposefully let Marlowe bleed out and die. Or it's possible 
He killed Marlowe and had Freiser, the one with an already suspicious reputation, take the blame. If the queen did order Marlowe's death, it made sense she asked someone she trusted completely to carry out the crime, someone like Poli, especially because this wouldn't have been the first time they carried out an assassination. They also conspired to kill Queen Elizabeth's own cousin, Mary, Queen of Scots. This occurred around 1586, when Poli went undercover to find evidence against Mary. Essentially, Poli was able to connect Mary to a coup, the Babington plot to overthrow Queen Elizabeth. And by the following February, Mary was publicly beheaded. It's clear that the Queen was willing to assassinate anyone who the Council believed challenged her power. And there's definite proof Poli and the Queen were working together at the time of Marlowe's death. Records show the Queen was paying Robert Poli from the time of Marlowe's inquest until after his death. So if the Council told her Marlowe's atheist beliefs were a threat, she might have hired Poli to kill him. The problem with this idea is that it doesn't account for Fraser's role in the whole thing, less so Skiers. From what we know, the Queen and Fraser didn't have a direct connection. So either Fraser is lying about the events, or Poli hired Fraser, then attended dinner to make sure he followed through. To suggest that Poli orchestrated the whole thing is a pretty large connection to make. But we can reasonably assume Christopher Marlowe's presumed atheism threatened multiple people in many different ways. Raleigh, the Privy Council, and the Queen herself. One of those three was likely to be responsible for his death, and all three parties had the resources to cover it up. Therefore, I give this theory that Marlowe's atheist beliefs caused his death a nine. It does make sense that the Queen would want Marlowe out of the picture once and for all. The fact that she pardoned Fraser makes me think she was involved in the murder, at least somehow. But for me, this still doesn't entirely rule out that the official account was the truth. Marlowe died after a fatal fight over the bill. So I give this theory an eight. But there's also a slight chance that Marlowe didn't die at all. Remember, just before that night at the lodging house, Marlowe was being hunted and called to court, which could have led to execution. So instead of standing trial, Marlowe might have had a different plan, which leads us to conspiracy number three. Marlowe faked his own death, then disappeared, only to write under a pen name, William Shakespeare. This theory dates back to 1819, when an unknown writer in the publication Monthly Review asked the question, could Shakespeare's plays actually have been written by Christopher Marlowe? The primary source of evidence for this theory was the poem Venus and Adonis. On April 18, 1593, around a month before Marlowe's arrest, the poem was registered with the stationer's company anonymously. But on June 12th, less than a month after Marlowe's death, that same poem was printed and purchased under the name Shakespeare. 
This was the first time William Shakespeare's name was ever officially associated with a piece of writing. This theory wasn't so compelling just for the timing, but also due to the stylistic similarities to Marlowe's previous work. The prose in the poem echoes Marlowe's writing so closely, it's possible it was actually written by Marlowe, only published under a different name. As we know, from then on, the writer known as Shakespeare had a blossoming career. He was prolific and popular. He wrote 154 sonnets, at least 37 plays, and two long narrative poems. The plays were performed by the Lord Chamberlain's men and were favored forms of entertainment for Queen Elizabeth. But not all Shakespeare's plays had his name on them, and his work was eerily close to Marlowe's. For example, Shakespeare's historical plays, such as Richard II and III and Merchant of Venice, are similar to Marlowe's works Edward II and The Jew of Malta. They appeared to have similar writing styles, the same vocabulary, tempo, and pacing. These parallelisms could further enforce the belief that Marlowe and Shakespeare were one and the same. And there may even be data to prove it. In 1901, physicist Dr. Thomas Corwin Mendenhall analyzed Shakespeare's work. Using an approach called stylometry, he compared Shakespeare's plays to his peers' work and found an almost exact correspondence between his and Marlowe's writing. Both used an average of 240 four-letter words per thousand, 135 letter words, and 66 letter words. Other word lengths were extremely close, if not exact. If this is true, however, the next question is certainly how Marlowe could have faked his death and become William Shakespeare. Perhaps the answer lies in the possibility that the fight between Freiser and Marlowe was staged. We know that to successfully fake his death, Marlowe still needed a body to give to authorities. Luckily for him, there was one. A man named John Penry, who'd been executed the day before Marlowe's supposed death, only three miles away from the lodging house in southeast London. The body was unaccounted for and became the legal property of the Queen's coroner, William Danby. It's possible Fraser and Marlowe posed this corpse as Marlowe's, allowing it to be buried as his own. Then, Marlowe snuck out of England with help from his patron, Thomas Walsingham. He lived in exile, most likely in Italy, where he continued to write as William Shakespeare. The wild thing is, this story actually fits many Shakespearean themes making it seem like art was imitating life. In the Bard's plays, 33 characters are mistakenly assumed dead. 19 of his plays explore the theme of exile. He also wrote about false accusations and losing one's good name and reputation, which is how Marlowe might have felt about being tried by the council. Plus, time only made coincidences seem stranger. In 2002, a diamond-shaped plaque honoring Marlowe was hung in Poet's Corner, Westminster Abbey. But there was a question mark etched into the panel before the year of his death, as if maybe 
he never actually died. But writers often copy and mimic the popular style at the time, so it's not that big a coincidence their works were similar. There is, however, another fold to this Shakespeare theory. Instead of writing as Shakespeare, Marlowe could have gone into hiding and wrote with Shakespeare. This other offshoot of Marlowe's exile is supported by recent evidence and acknowledgement from the new Oxford Shakespeare that Marlowe helped to write Shakespeare's play, Henry VI. For me, this still seems highly unlikely. After all, you'd think Coroner Danby would have realized his corpse was missing. Plus, he'd probably be able to recognize Marlowe from Shakespeare, given they were both relatively well-known men around London. While I believe that Marlowe influenced Shakespeare's work, I don't think he was Shakespeare, nor that he was able to fake his own death. I give this theory a one. I'm inclined to agree. It's a fun hypothesis, but in the end, it seems pretty unlikely that Marlowe could have faked his death. While coroner William Danby could have buried Penry's corpse as Marlowe's, he worked for Queen Elizabeth, who detested Marlowe. Knowing that would, at the very least, put his job at stake. I also have to give this a one. Marlowe definitely died that day at the lodging house, but it's still hard to nail down exactly why. It's possible there really was a fight over the bill and that Marlowe's notorious temper exploded, that his death was a tragic accident. Or that he was murdered, and his killer will remain a mystery, one that haunts scholars to this day. But one thing we know for sure is that when Marlowe died, the world lost a literary treasure. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back next time with a new episode. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Alexandra Blozier, edited by Stacey Nemec and Mackenzie Moore, fact-checked by Adriana Romero, researched by Bradley Klein, and produced by Bruce Katovich. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Mm-hmm.